see that bolt of lightning? <laughs> uh, William, good to see you again. Great to see you. Are you back for long this time? Good. Good. Hopefully we'll see a lot more of you then. We'll have to have our lunch in the city one day. Would you turn in your scriptures? What's wrong with this? Would you turn in your scriptures with me, please, to the book of Acts in chapter 2. I'm going to read a, uh, it's a bit of a lengthy passage, but please, I think we need to read it all. <clears throat> oh, by the way, he is risen. Thank you very much. Let's read from Acts chapter 2, commencing to read from verse 29. Brothers, these are the words of Peter, I, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. Did you know that David was a prophet? He was. He was. He was a prophet of God. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place, him, place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Context? This is the day of Pentecost. That's the context of what God had done among the disciples who were gathered when the Holy Spirit came upon them in as tongues of fire. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord sit to, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, Peter warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt 
generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow, wouldn't it be lovely to have a baptism in here? 3,000 in one day. I think my arms would get weary. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being, being, present continuous tense, those who were being saved. Wow, must have been an amazing day, mustn't it? That day of Pentecost. Wow. Would that we could all just translate ourselves to that very day and just enjoy it over and over and over again. But God has other purposes and plans for us. And on the day of Pentecost, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter stood up in front of a huge crowd gathered in Jerusalem and boldly proclaimed that Jesus Christ is not only alive, but he is risen from the grave. That was his proclamation. It was a proclamation that had never been heard before in Jerusalem and it is a proclamation that is ongoing today. Jesus is risen. Thank you very much. He is indeed. And this was amazing stuff because this was the same Peter, the very same man who only 50 days prior had fled and deserted the Lord Jesus when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. In fear for his own life, he had fled and left the Lord Jesus. Also, this was the very same Peter who only 50 days prior, when questioned three times had denied ever knowing the Lord Jesus. The fear had gripped him so much that he denied three times knowing Jesus. And we've got to ask the question, what happened in those days? What happened in those days that so profoundly changed this man, Peter? And what we know is that in the days following the Lord's resurrection 
And the 40 days before his ascension, Peter met the risen Lord Jesus on a number of occasions. On one occasion, Peter even walked with the Lord by the Sea of Galilee and had a very deep conversation with him, which resulted in Peter being given the commission to be a leader and carer of God's people. John chapter 1 verses 15 to 17 is your reference there. However, having acknowledged the importance of these encounters, the most profound change occurred in Peter when the Holy Spirit came upon him on the day of Pentecost. This is what changed the lamb into a lion, the flickering flame into a raging fire. And what a change it was. From a fearful, timid person to someone who was bold and courageous. And when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he took away all Peter's reservations and all Peter's fears and he gave Peter a confidence and a boldness that became infectious among his hearers. This man of basic and general education became a graduate of heaven in declaring the heart, the mind and the will of God Almighty. And he became a teacher to the teachers of the day. On the day of, of Pentecost, in his proclamation, Peter remembered all that he had been taught in the synagogue about the great King David. He made a connection that the Lord Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament messianic prophecies and he declared the risen Lord Jesus as the way of salvation and hope for all people, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their cultural backgrounds. Jesus became the link in all of history, both past and future. Not only this, but in verse 36, Peter boldly laid the charge of the betrayal and the crucifixion of God's anointed Messiah on the house of Israel, his own, pe uh, his own people. As we read, Therefore let all, Israel, all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. He's talking to the Jews. You crucified him. And God has made him both Lord and Christ. That's a bold statement. Telling the people that you're talking to that they're responsible, that it's their fault. I mean, say, that's a real turn off. That's the sort of message that then people get up and say, oh, I don't want to hear this and walk away. But they didn't. They didn't. To win over the crowd, it would have been so easy for Peter to simply pass the, block, the buck and blame, to blame the hatred Romans for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. But he did not. Peter called it as it was. It was the Jewish people themselves 
who had called out for Jesus to be crucified. And that's recorded in Mark 15, in Luke 23, in John 19. They were to blame. It was the Jewish people themselves who had failed God because they had failed to realize that this Jesus was the anointed of God to bring them a hope and a future and they had betrayed him. They had betrayed him. What was the response of the people? Well, as we read in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. That's an interesting expression, isn't it? They were cut to the heart. Their cry was one of true remorse and contrition. Truly it was the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the crowd that opened the eyes of these men and women. They weren't spectators anymore of what the Holy Spirit had done for the disciples in empowering them to speak boldly. But the Holy Spirit was now acting in the hearts and the minds of the gathered crowd. They were cut to the heart. Their responsibility and guilt for what had happened to the Lord Jesus was theirs to bear. And they felt its weight. What could be done to put right this great wrong of which they shared culpability? Well, Peter's response again was very clear. And in verses 38 and 39, we read his words. Peter said, repent. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. How can we put this, this wrong right? How can we tell God that we are genuinely sorry for our culpability and our responsibility and our sinfulness. And Peter says, repent and be baptized. In the New Testament, the call to repentance and believers' baptism was first practiced by John the Baptist. And it was endorsed by the Lord Jesus himself. Matthew 3 Mark 1, Luke 3, and compare it with John chapter 4. It's there time and time again. Because baptism is an outward sign of the inner spiritual cleansing of a person's life. It's not an optional extra. It's a declaration of Jesus himself. This is what we are to do. If we are truly sorry before God, if we accept responsibility for our sin, then we are called 
to be baptised. It's as simple as that. It's not an optional extra. It takes place in response to a person's true and sincere act of repentance. You don't get baptised and then 20, 30 years later say to God, oh, well, I'm sorry. That's like trying to throw the icy pole stick away in the rubbish bin before you eat the icy pole. It doesn't work that way. You've got to accept your responsibility and your culpability first and then you're baptised. Which says something about the practices in some churches where they baptise babies. The babies cannot make an act of repentance. Baptism is a declaration of that person's willingness for their life to now be lived in obedience to God's will and purposes for them. It gives people a whole new understanding and perception on the worth and future direction of their life. As Peter declared, this call to repentance and baptism was not limited or restricted just to the Jews. It's not just a Jewish sacrament. It was open to anyone and everyone whose lives were touched by God and who responded to him. This is a call for all people of the world. And in this, in this call, Peter declared under the power and under the authority of the Holy Spirit that God sees no barriers between ethnicity, culture or any other differences between people. In the eyes of God, we are all the same and we all need to make this act of repentance and confession of our sinfulness. We all need to be baptised as an outward sign of the in reality, inward reality of God's cleansing in our life. God is interested in all people and seeks to call all people to faith and to have their lives turned around and transformed. Truly, when the Holy Spirit touches a person's life, the Holy Spirit becomes the great unifier. Think about it. When the Holy Spirit touches your life, he becomes the one who unifies you first with God and then with all people who place God in the centre of their life. From verse 41, we read of the people's response to the preaching of Peter. The people's response was simple. Those who gladly received his word were baptised. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the church. 
truly this was an amazing response by the people and it speaks of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that came upon them. But this wasn't just a momentary emotional response and then everyone went back to their old lives. In the following verses, we read of the ongoing transformation that took place in the lives of those who responded to the call of Peter. In verse 22, we read these words. And they, that is the people who had made the, uh, the, the decision to ask the Lord Jesus into their life, that means those who were baptised, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That is, in their teaching and in their gathering together. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. In other words, the people gathered together in worship of God and to learn from God. That was the first response of those who had been baptised. And then in verse 43... We read, many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. There was a work of ministry taking place. It wasn't a closed shop. People weren't just saying, okay, I've been, I've been converted, I've become a, a follower of Jesus, I'm now part of Jesus' band of followers. They didn't close the doors. They started going out in ministry and in service and many wonders and signs were done. In verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And this togetherness was not just a physical togetherness, it's also a spiritual and emotional togetherness they were of one heart and one mind and they had all things in common this is christian fellowship there was a unity and a oneness in verse 45 we read they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among more, among all as anyone had need this tells us that there was a love and a care for all the brethren. People weren't just looking after themselves, as we see in the world today. People just look after themselves. But in the early church, as people had need, others gave of what they were able to give. And they didn't expect anything from it. They didn't give because they thought that God would then give them more. It wasn't a prosperity doctrine. And they didn't give because it meant that they could go in a fun run. They didn't give for what they would get out of it. They simply gave. Because the Spirit of God was among them. In verse 46, we read these words, Continuing daily with one accord and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness 
and simplicity of heart. There was a Christian unity and a humility. And the focus in the breaking of the bread was totally on what Jesus had done for them on the cross of Calvary. Whenever they gathered together, it was in remembrance and thanksgiving for what Jesus had done for them. And in verse 47, praising God and having favour with all the people. Worship, witness and outreach. These verses, verses 42 to 47, are an amazing description of what it meant to be a part of the early church. And they are an incredible template for what it means to be a part of the church today. Truly, the Holy Spirit is the great unifier when, when people from all different ethnic groups and cultures come together, not for self-interest, but for the glory of God. Truly, the first century church was multi-ethnic, multicultural and multi-generational, as is this church today. If we want a template for what it means to be the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today, then all we need to do is read and reread and reread these verses in Acts chapter 2. In all, in all this, however, the key words in this passage that we read are found in the second half of verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Brothers and sisters, it was not Peter. It was not the other disciples who established the early church. The church is not established on Peter. It's established on Peter's confession. And it's established on the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the people. It's not you or I who build or unify the church today. It is the work of God through the ministry and teaching of the Lord Jesus and through the convictions and empowering of His Holy Spirit. That's what builds the church. And that's what we need to stick to. Constantly, we need to remember that people only come to know the Lord Jesus through the prompting and challenge of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. I don't convert anyone. You don't convert anyone. We are merely called to speak of Jesus and what he has done in our life and declare the word of Scripture and it's up to the Holy Spirit to do the rest. It's the Holy Spirit who places within each searching heart 
a desire and a conviction to want to know God more. And our role as disciples of the Lord is to welcome, to encourage, to teach and disciple new believers to the point where they themselves then grow and become disciples of others. We teach that they may then teach others. As the Apostle Peter wrote to the early church, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A wonderful passage in 1 Peter 2, verses 1 to 5, verse 5. And you'll see on the walls this, uh, this particular diagram is there for your encouragement. Brothers and sisters, the church is not a place for us to simply remain as babies in the faith. We're not here to all the time just soak up the milk. We're to start getting onto some good solid food. And we do that by being part of our midweek Bible study and prayer groups. If you expect or hope to simply grow as a Christian by coming to church for an hour on Sunday, that's just the milk. You need to be a part of a Bible study group during the rest of the week where you can read the Bible, you can talk about it with others, you can pray through it with others, you can explore it. And ask the question, how does this engage with my life today? How does, it how does it apply to my life today? That's where you start getting into the, uh, the meat and three veggies. The church is not here to be just a place of comfort and refuge a place where we can go with all our troubles knowing that there is always someone who will listen. It is that, but the church is more than that. In Christ Jesus, we are constantly being called upon to grow up in spiritual maturity and dare to take on the fullness of the ministries of the Lord Jesus in the wider world. As we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. Read it. So I come to a very important question for today. 
Brothers and sisters, where are you today? The Holy Spirit is the great unifier. He brings us together as one in Christ Jesus. But where are you today? Are you still seeking and searching? Do you still have questions about God that remain unanswered? What are you doing about it? Don't just bellyache about it. Get involved in a Bible study prayer group and ask the questions. Get involved with the pastors and ask them the questions. Learn and grow. Have you responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and repented of your past neglect of the things of God? Is God now in clear focus in your life and worship? Location, location, location. Is God central to who you are as a person? Not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. Have you begun the journey of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus, of learning and growing to be the person that he wants you to be? Are you now taking responsibility for your faith walk and daring to reach out and share the Lord Jesus with others? Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm too timid. I'm too shy. Oh, I can't, I can't talk about Jesus to anybody. Rubbish. Of course you can. If you're prepared to step out in the Spirit of God. There was Peter. He was timid. He was shy. He was fearful. He denied Jesus three times. And when he allowed the Holy Spirit into his life, he became bold and courageous for the Lord and made a difference. And so can you. In the eyes of God, Peter was no better than you are. He was a battler and a struggler, but he stepped out and he took God at his word and he started to teach others about Jesus. Have you had the enormous joy and privilege of praying with a new seeker that they may know and receive the Lord Jesus to be the centre of their new life with him? That is one of the greatest joys that I think you can ever have. It even is better than marrying someone, you know, conducting the wedding. It's even better than conducting a baptismal service. It's even better than holding a newborn babe and dedicating that child to the Lord. To pray with someone as they receive Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, that's the pinnacle of Christian service. In every generation, there is so much in being part of God's church in the world. And if the early church had only ever focused on itself and its needs, it would have died after that first generation. 
the early church didn't just focus on itself. It went out into the world in the Spirit of God. It is because of the unifying work of the Holy Spirit in our midst as we step out in obedience to the Lord's command that the church has an ongoing life and ministry even today and into the future. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit that we are one, united in our worship and adoration of God. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit that we are strengthened, equipped and enabled to continue the work of the Lord Jesus, both in the church and in the world around us. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit that we have a voice to proclaim the Lord Jesus. He is crucified, he is risen, and he is coming again. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this text in Acts chapter 2 that speaks to us so clearly today on the people to which you have called us to be. Thank you, Lord God, that we are left in no shadow of doubt. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work in each one of us. And we pray that through your Holy Spirit we may be effective and powerful witnesses for you in the, in the community around us in the, and in the wider world. Lord God, may you have all the glory, honour and praise. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.